the topic for today, according to our journal, is living your dream. Now, a dream is a cherished idea, an ideal, an ambition. And some people know exactly what their dream is. Some people are still figuring that out. They don't know yet. And some people are in the process of moving from one dream, evolving into another dream, because that's the way life is. You know, there's never a time or an age when life's possibilities stop in you and me. Now, without a dream, um, it turns out life can feel stuck at any age. With a dream, a vision, a cherished ambition, something that is inspiring, oh, that's when things in the world become engaging and exciting. And that's when every day you wake up and say, oh, I get to do my thing. Well, that's more the Facebook version of living your dream, right? That's the Hollywood motion picture version of living your dream. Because in reality, everything in life doesn't come seamlessly and easily and readily and clearly and without problems. You know, I'm thinking about problems today that people are facing who may have dreams in them, but I'm thinking of the Venezuelan refugees. I'm thinking about Ukraine being attacked by Russia. I'm thinking about Armenia being attacked by Azerbaijan. I'm thinking about unsheltered people in our own community. Now, I haven't experienced anything to that degree, but I know everybody has some kind of trial or tribulation in their life they had to have to work through. And I'm thinking about my own journey. When I was in it, whatever it was, I couldn't clearly see what was going on and understand it. I had to get to the other side. And when I was on the other side and I looked back on the journey that got me to where I wanted to be, that's when I could see how things were actually coming together, even when it felt like it was all falling apart. On the way to being in my dream, well, it's the way of things. On the way to being in our dream life, it can be challenging, it can be gritty, it can be disorienting, it can be upsetting, it can be hard, it can be confusing and joyful and frightening and mysterious and fun and all the things. It can be all of that. Everyone has a dream in them, inside of them. Everybody does. You know, for there to be freedom of any kind, there must be unlimited possibilities of experience. Because if there was only one way to experience life, that wouldn't be freedom. And if there was only one path to follow, that wouldn't be freedom. That would be, well, someone or something else would be predestining a life. And I'm not okay with that. So whatever it is that is in your heart to do, if it is in sync with life, and by that I mean it harms no one, and it expresses your innocent nature, and it's worth following, whatever puts you in a state of pure, holy connection, you know, bliss, no matter how well or not well you do it, well, that is the right thing for you to be doing. See, this month, the, the theme for the whole month is work. Well, we're talking not so much about careers, but right work for you in your life. 
livelihood, your life's work, your life expression. So in, in that way, a dream is doing the thing that makes you forget that you have a body. You, know, you forget to do the dishes. That thing that when you are doing it, time stops. Because you're so in the moment that nothing else can intrude. Even your troubles fall away into the background. It's just you and that divine urge to express. Now, I'm not saying that I or you get to live like that in every moment of life. But when I am, when you are doing that particular something, then everything around the activity becomes nourishing, almost holy, <laughs> and you feel competent. You don't question yourself. You don't even think about whether or not you're good at it. You just feel plugged into it, the rightness of it. So now let's back up a bit for a moment because I, and I'm sure you too, I can get pretty blissed out doing a lot of things. And some of them are pretty selfish. Some of them are not good for me <laughs> or the environment. Some are bad habits that I just like. They feel good when I'm doing them, but there's no reward afterwards. Or it says in the scripture, all things are possible, but not all things are advisable. And there are dozens of good, wholesome things that I love to do. Oh, reading a good science fiction book. Or playing one of the many musical instruments that I love. But I don't want to do them all the time. So you see, today I'm not talking about obsessions, self-indulgence, selfish pastimes, fun entertainment distraction. There's nothing wrong with all of that. We're just talking about something else, a dream, the activity of your life that is in sync with life. By that I mean it harms no one and it expresses your innocent creative nature. It's worth following and when you are following, it puts you into a state of bliss and it's something that you can't not do. Some of us don't know what that is yet. And some of us are ready for a new one. So I want to offer something that might hint at what it might be. And I've used this before for myself. See if it works for you. If you said to me, Edward, meet me at Barnes & Noble downtown Santa Rosa tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. But you forgot to tell me where inside of Barnes & Noble. Where would you most likely be? Which section would you be browsing? Or if you asked me to meet you in a big department store, I don't know, in New York, but you forgot to tell me which department, where would you be browsing? Because in that answer might be a hint. It's possible. It might be the hint at what draws you, what makes you interestedly absorbed in something. And when thinking about the answer to this question, completely forget about the idea of work or job or career. Because, you know, the rational mind might say, well, you know, what I love to do, I couldn't get paid for. And it could be true. So this exercise really is about stimulating the awareness of what the dream 
in you is and the energy that it has to inspire you. So we're looking for the answer to the question, what do I love to do that loves me back when I do it? And to some extent, you probably would do it for free if you're not already doing so. So what is that thing? Somebody reminded me of a story that I told in 2008 about this topic, and I went and dug it out because it changed my life. It was told to me as the parable of Claudia, who was a lawyer in Honolulu. And she worked for one of the biggest law firms there, and she was the star new attorney, and they just loved her. And turns out she really wasn't happy. She woke up every morning with a headache and was starting to have strange illnesses, inexplicable. And one morning she came into the office and they had a big case and the boss called her aside and said, Claudia, go in there and bite their heads off. And she heard that and she said to herself, is that what I've become? And she quit that day and her family had a fit. Their heads exploded. And she found the minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Honolulu and sat with her and talked about it. And the minister told her, look, you know, as soon as this decision is all right with you in your heart, it will be all right with everybody around you. So she had to work on that. And she did. She got that right. She got okay with her decision. And she came back to the minister and said, now what? Because now I've got nothing to do. And I'm not the sort of person to sit around. And so the minister said, well, what do you love to do. She said, well, I like to play the guitar <laughs> and I like to dance. And oh, you know what I really love to do? I, I write these little scripts, you know, like little plays for my family. Then we get together and I make everybody read a part and we perform it together. But I'm not really good at any of these things. I drive everybody mad and I know I'm not destined to be a dancer. And the minister interrupted her and said, For, stop thinking job and just play a while with the things that open up an energy in you that you love to do. So she listened and she went out and she took lessons. She took tap dancing lessons. She got ukulele lessons. <laughs> And she came back one day to the minister with a big grin on her face. She said, I know what I want to do. And it's so far-fetched. And it's so crazy that you're going to laugh at me. I want to write, produce, and direct television documentaries. And I have absolutely no experience or knowledge of how to do that. And I know you probably need 10 years experience even before you can get behind a camera before they'll consider you. So the minister breathed in and said, well, Claudia, do you think you would be good at it? And she said, oh, I know I would be good at it. I can just feel it. And the minister said, well, then, Claudia, you have the only credential you need. You have a BS, which stands for belief system. And she said, that's all you ever need on this planet to accomplish finding your heart. And so they worked together with prayer, 
meditation and they played with affirmations. You know how that goes when you repeat to yourself affirming ideas. And Claudia gave herself a playful title. She said, I, I write and produce television documentaries. She was practicing how she would answer if somebody asked her, what do you do? Even before she knew anything, you know. And she just practiced saying this, you know. And at first it felt really stupid and silly, And she stuck with it until she could say it without feeling self-conscious and silly and ridiculous and awkward. (laughs) That was September. By the end of December, her second documentary had won an international award. Now this is how it happened. A local television station called her and said, Claudia, listen, we've heard that you're a lawyer and that you're not with a company right now and we wondered whether or not you would be able to do some legal work for our company. (laughs) Put yourself in her position, right? I mean, I do this. First response, great. It's not working. It's all just positive thinking, baloney, hocus pocus. I'm not fooling anybody. I'm not even fooling myself. But you see, it was the universe knocking on her door. And right in the middle of the sentence when she was about to say, I don't do legal work any, she heard of the universe. And she went, television studio? (laughs) She said, I'll tell you what, I'll do the legal work for you if you teach me television. And they said, oh, thank God. Because we didn't know how we were going to pay you anyway. See, when I answer the call, the knock to my dream in my life, I'm responding to something, the way I say it, the way I understand it, is that the love of spirit has placed within me to respond to. And so I'm answering a call to my life. I'm being called to my life. And, And that's when it seems like the entire universe gets into gear to work out the incorrect stuff. And when I went through my Claudia experience, my Claudia process, it was scary as heck. You see, I wanted to be a minister. But I'd been trained to be a musician, and I was good at it. But my heart wasn't in it, because it wasn't my life's calling. I was just trained in it, and I was good at it, and Because it wasn't my calling, I always had trouble getting the gigs that would pay the big bucks, you know. And then I found myself making ridiculous excuses for not showing up, for not practicing, for not reaching out, for not keeping up to date with industry stuff. Life just felt like I was pushing a truck up a hill. And I felt so guilty and bad all the time. But you're so talented. You know, as if I was committing a sin. And I hadn't got to that place that Claudia got to where I could say the affirmation, I am a minister. And because it wasn't okay with me, it wasn't okay with anyone around me. Oh, my parents. They had begged me not to become a musician in the first place. And now that I had become a musician and I was good at it and it cost the family so much money to get there, how could I possibly bail out? But I knew I had to. I had to and I did. I quit. And I had no idea where I was going to go in life. 
But I did find the center for spiritual living and enrolled in classes because in that center I had heard that there was a ministerial training, a school of ministry in downtown Los Angeles. And in order to enroll in the class, you had to get certain qualifying classes. So I got a job in Hollywood so that I could pay for the qualifying courses. Oh, the job in Hollywood, I hated it. Long, unpredictable hours for almost no money. But I didn't care because finally I was learning about something that was interesting to me. There was a problem though. My work schedule conflicted directly with the hours of the school of spirit, the ministry classes. There was no way that I was going to be able to do both. But still there was no doubt in my mind I was going to go to that school somehow. So I enrolled in the course <laughs> even before I knew I could go. In fact, I knew I couldn't go. <laughs> and I kid you not, but my work schedule did not change until the night of the first class. Somebody resigned in a fit, and there was a shuffle around, and suddenly my shift changed. It ended at 6 p.m., and class started at 6.30 p.m., and I had to drive, like my grandmother used to say, like a bat out of hell, to get to downtown Los Angeles, and I would sneak into the door just before the teacher would say, you're late again. <laughs> you see, in Barnes & Noble in those days, you could always find me in the philosophy department, in the spirituality department, always. All my books at home were on the same subject, God. <laughs> Even when I was a musician, I wasn't reading industry periodicals. I was reading about yoga philosophy and Islam and Buddhism. And when I graduated and could finally change careers, I wish it could say it happened easily. It didn't. It didn't happen right away because guess what? There were no jobs. So I didn't go straight into ministry. I had to earn a living. So I worked for years, several years in a corporate environment, in computers, in in what used what was now known as IT, <laughs> while I was on the path to my dream, because I had to support myself. Now, looking back at it now, you'll see that everything on that road, the music, computers, the work, the teaching, everything that I did, even the stuff I didn't like, was preparing me for where I was going. And although I didn't see it at the time, I was getting hands-on experience that wasn't available in the ministerial training. Because at that time in the ministerial training, there was no business training, but I had got to sit in on high-powered business meetings in Hollywood. I learned business. Before I came a minister, I noticed at a street fair there was a training for Shanti Foundation for one-on-one -on -one peer support for people in life, in terminal diseases. I learned how to do counseling and be present for people. And there are so many times I give thanks for everything I learned in music about teamwork, about listening, about harmony, about practice, and about the spiritual significance of our emotional bodies. And at the time, I had no idea that I would end up being the minister at this center is somewhere along the line I had to give up the idea that because I was a professional musician with a minister's license, currently employed as a computer-type person 
in Hollywood that I had failed and that I was stuck. No. I loved people. I loved helping people. I loved listening to people. So I volunteered in my local Center for Spiritual Living. I loved spiritual community. So I did it in whatever form I could. I showed up at night on weekends in my spare time. I showed up. I carried on learning until each next step revealed itself to me. So if my center needed weeds pulled or coffee made, I did it because I wanted to be in it. And I never got tired when I did it. I would be exhausted at work. And as soon as I showed up in spiritual community, something came alive. When I tell this story to people, often they will say, well, what if there are several things you like doing? And the answer is, I don't really know the answer to your quest, but I have some suggestions. First is, do something, anything. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life. Secondly, you can try doing nothing and see if it gets better or worse. My suggestion is to choose something and do it because if it's the wrong thing, that will reveal itself to you. Or you could do it all at once. Clarity will come. You know, I think of Claudia's story. She did singing and dancing and ukulele and this and that. And out of that creativity, she discovered that she wanted to do document. It doesn't seem logical, but it came to her. And the way I see it is that when I take a step in the direction of the call to my life, I begin to get feedback that clarifies things. I think that the more we do the stuff of our dreams, the more real we feel to ourselves and to people around us. And they begin responding to us because they sense the genuineness of our dream energy. I think doing something is one of the important pieces of this. You you remember before we had power steering? You know, you had to really turn that steering wheel to get it to change direction. Now you can just do it with your little finger. And some of us may need to just apply a little pressure in our life. And others of us might have to really turn the steering wheel. But standing still too long may make it difficult to know. When I started this journey toward living my bliss, which is a journey that never ends and is always evolving, I want to tell you that I wasn't particularly good at it. When I volunteered for that organization for emotional support, the Shanti Foundation, oh my God, I made such rookie mistakes. I'm surprised they didn't fire me. When I attended my first board meeting here at the Center for Spiritual Living, I didn't even know what a motion was, let alone a second. The first time I spoke in public, it was disastrous. I don't mind telling you that after I spoke, I went to the restroom and threw up. That's how afraid I was. I have the audio cassette, remember those things? Of the first Sunday evening service I ever gave. I keep it because it's so terrible. It is that bad. But I was so enthusiastic that humiliation wasn't enough to stop me. And I would talk to anybody about my bliss that would give me a chance. I was miserable company. I I would wander off into a dream, a fantasy about workshops, messages I would give, things that I would do in the world. Oh, I was so moved by the idea of service to humanity. 
It didn't matter to me that there were no jobs available yet or that I had no experience or that I was terrified of doing it or that I was actually installing computers for a living. And then finally, when I did find this center and this job and I came to want to accept it, I found out that the center, the center at that time, couldn't afford to pay me a living wage. No, I've just found the dream job and I'm not able to sustain myself in it. So I took a second job back in Los Angeles to supplement my income because I couldn't not be a teacher of science of mind. For something like eight years, I commuted to Los Angeles so that I could pay my own living wage to work here. Joseph Campbell, you know the power of myth, he was interviewed by Bill Moyers, I think it was NPR, such a beautiful interview, and Bill Moyers asked him about religion as myth and asked, you know, the myths in our religion, are these our way of trying to explain or find the meaning of life? And I'll never forget um, Joseph Campbell's answer. He said, there's no meaning in life. It's about experiencing aliveness. You are the meaning in life. And your dream creates our reality. Your passion brings passion for all of us. Your success is the world's success. So go do something you love. Because when you are able to live with heart and meaning, you are not only fulfilling your life's destiny in you, but you're helping those around you grow up into their full height and stature. I did this because I believed the teacher who told me, said to me, do what you love. And I've got to say also, she didn't say to me, go out and be reckless and ignore your responsibilities and forget about your bills. She told me to go and look for what stimulates energy in my heart. One last thing, along the way in my journey, you know, well-meaning people told me to lower my expectations of what was possible, given all the facts. They didn't want me to be disappointed or be let down. You know, if people tell you to lower your expectations, look at their lives. See if they're living a dream or a nightmare, and then decide if you should listen. I mean, instead, go and talk to passionate people. I'm guessing they will tell you to set your sights higher than you are. I've heard that a common regret among successful people is, I wish I had dreamed bigger. Sure, it's scary. Sure, there's disappointment. But there's life in it for you. And it's why you're here. <laughs>